The Hamlet Podcast. Hello and welcome to what will be, for now at least, the final episode of The Basics. Across these nine episodes, from Shakespeare's birthday to now, just before Midsummer Night, we've looked at verse, rhythm, iambic pentameter, prose, antithesis, apposition, alliteration, assonance, wordplay, paradox and rhyme, among other things. Initially, my aim was for this little series to be a support for students who might be finding themselves stuck at home in quarantine, for exams that were later cancelled or suspended. But it has also been a fun way to delve a little deeper, more grammatically than dramatically, into how Shakespeare's language works. One of the remarkable things about his plays is that there were so many things happening simultaneously. The reason that we consider Shakespeare a genius is that he manages to write language that manipulates all of these devices we've discussed, and plenty more besides, while also conjuring images and ideas that spring to life in our minds and hearts. It's the combination, his ability to keep all of these plates spinning at the same time, that makes his work so fascinating. Speaking of images, this final episode is going to look at imagery, particularly simile and metaphor. I don't remember which of my lovely English teachers taught us to remember simile because it sounds like similar, which means something is like something else, and that a simile is a comparison that describes something. Hamlet, the play, includes a great many of them. A quick scan through it describes things as as the air invulnerable, and like French falconers, John of Dreams, a camel, a weasel, a whale, a mildewed ear, a wart, the famous ape, the kind, life-rendering pelican, and like a star in the darkest night. There are probably at least as many more. They tend to work like little fireworks, brief flashes of description that illuminate a point and then conveniently peter out. By contrast, metaphor is rather more complicated. A discussion of metaphor in Shakespeare could run to several books, never mind paragraphs or podcasts, and I don't plan to keep you that long. As a basic description, a metaphor is a literary device that describes something in a way that may not be technically true or even possible, but which helps to explain or to make a helpful comparison. Shakespeare uses them constantly. Some of his most famous lines are metaphors. It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Oh, full of scorpions is my mind, dear wife. This precious stone set in a silver sea. And of course, maybe the most famous, all the world's a stage. In Hamlet, of course, we have a treasure trove of metaphors. They operate in a couple of different ways, so let's have a look at a few of them. First up, there are the kind of plain metaphors. Something is something. Early on, Hamlet describes his country to Guildenstern. Denmark's a prison. Hamlet here is toying with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, and there's some back and forth over this image, but it's a brief idea. It gets a point across, and then we don't really hear much more about it. Next up, there's the kind of metaphor that is hinted at, an image that builds up thanks to various references. An example of this, running quietly through most of the play, is the image of Hamlet wanting to become an avenging angel, to punish those responsible for his father's death. As soon as the ghost says the word murder, Hamlet starts the ball rolling. And he says, 
Haste me to know it, that I, with wings as swift as meditation or the thoughts of love, may sweep to my revenge. Imagery of angels and wings crop up throughout the play after this, and at the end, when Hamlet dies, having avenged his father's death, Horatio prays that flights of angels will sing him to his rest. The metaphor is never directly announced, but we can infer it through the language that is studded through the play. The language of Hamlet's soliloquies is full of metaphors. They are extraordinary pieces of poetry because in them, Shakespeare manages to combine intense metaphysical ideas about life, death, sin, murder, revenge and so on with images that are startling and evocative and immediate. As ever, I'm drawn to the third one, to be or not to be, which is itself so woven through with images and metaphors. Let's just take not to be, which is what Hamlet discusses for most of the soliloquy, and that's death. He goes on a terrific flight of fancy here, likening death to sleep, and how easy that is, ending heartache and shuffling off this mortal coil. But there's a problem. If death is asleep, what kind of nightmares might come with it? What dreams may come? Most amazing of all, he calls death the undiscovered country, from whose born no traveller returns. These are all metaphors, but again, we do not engage with or think about this endlessly interesting speech because we think, oh, that's a lovely metaphor he's using there. It's just another literary device which happens to be brilliant and invites us to contemplate life and death in its inimitable, poetic way. I imagine that almost every main episode of this podcast has at some point unpacked or discussed an image or a metaphor, quite possibly without my ever having used the actual word. Poetry and dramatic language teemed with imagery in Shakespeare's time. Some quick and ready images, some slow burners that reveal themselves over the course of an entire play or poem. Since Shakespeare was writing for a theatre that didn't rely very heavily on design, although that did evolve over the course of his career, he crams his language full of all these fabulous tricks and devices that we can now dig up like archaeologists sifting through treasure. This is the fun part, joining the dots and charting a course through the terrain that Shakespeare has laid out for us. And it's even more enjoyable when we can have a simultaneous sense of what he's doing with all the other elements and rudiments we have discussed throughout this series. Even back when Shakespeare himself was writing, of course, there was an awareness that language could get too flowery. In Sonnet 130, He gently mocks Elizabethan poetry and some of the tired images for beauty that presumably everyone was sick of hearing. In this sweet little mockery of simile and metaphor, he proclaims that ordinary truth and real life are always more engaging than anything too highfalutin. The sonnets are, by the way, a terrific way to get acquainted with how Shakespeare uses and manipulates just about everything we have discussed in these nine episodes, with the exception of prose, of course. See how many of these basics you can identify within this one, which I'll read as a fitting closure for now. My mistress' eyes are nothing like the sun. Coral is far more red than her lips red. If snow be white, why then her breasts are done. If hairs be wires, black wires grow on her head. I have seen roses damasked, red and white, but no such roses see I in her cheeks. 
and in some perfumes is there more delight than in the breath that from my mistress reeks. I love to hear her speak, yet well I know that music hath a far more pleasing sound. I grant I never saw a goddess go. My mistress, when she walks, treads on the ground. And yet, by heaven, I think my love as rare as any she belied with false compare. <laughs>